Well, as we continue to press into this Advent season, we're going to be looking this morning at Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 56, and we're going to be looking specifically at Mary's song. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, or you could say sung, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Pray with me. Father, this is your word. We ask that you would speak through me this morning, that you would help us to see and delight in your coming. We, we praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had an occasion when you were just overcome by joy? You were overcome and overwhelmed where it just came pouring out of you. Perhaps it was maybe a time of engagement to be wed, and you couldn't wait to tell your friends and your family about the good news of what had happened. Perhaps it was the news of an adoption or maybe even in a college acceptance letter. You received a college acceptance letter and you couldn't help but jump for joy and scream out loud because your college of choice happened. Well, I had a moment like this at one point with, uh, when we found out that I was, we were expecting our daughter Janie about almost two years ago. It was Christmas Eve morning. We were in Tennessee with my family. We were around the breakfast table all talking together and enjoying our, our coffee and taking it all in. And uh, at, at, at some point, Amy starts gesturing to me uh, to, that she wants to go and talk to me upstairs because she has something that she wants to tell me. Uh, so she heads upstairs and uh, and I wait a little long, or wait for a little bit, and apparently I wait too long because my phone starts vibrating, uh, indicating like I have a text that she obviously wants me to come up quickly. So I take a few more sips of coffee, and I head upstairs, and I find Amy in the bedroom, and she is glowing. 
she is smiling from uh, cheek to ear to ear, right, and, and is excited. So obviously this is good news, right? I'm not in trouble or anything like that. So I'm like, this is great, okay? Uh, so I'm here, I'm listening to her. I'm like, so wh what's going on? What did you have to tell me? And she reaches down by her side and she pulls up the pregnancy test and she shows me. And of course the coffee's taking a minute to process. And uh, I, I look at it and I see it and I realize we're pregnant. This is amazing. This is exciting news. And uh, of course, then I'm like, are, are we sure? Is this right? Like, I don't want to get too out of control here before I know that this is true. She's like, yes, yeah, as sure as we can be, this is great. And so, you know, in my head, I'm thinking best Christmas present ever, right? Uh, this is amazing. Uh, wonderful news and excitement. We had plans to uh, call my in-laws, the Coopers, uh, just to check in that day already. That was just already on our plans. And so we uh, were, were getting ready to call them. And it was shortly after I had heard the news. And we, we called them up. And we, but we had discussed strictly beforehand that we were not going to tell them the news. We were not going to do it. Because we wanted to tell them in person when we saw them. And we were going to think of something, some way to tell them in person because we were with my, my parents. And so... Uh, we get on the phone with them, we're talking, I'm not kidding, not even 30 seconds into the conversation, something came over me. I was welling up inside with, with joy to the point where it just kind of, like everything, any conversation, any words that were spoken beforehand just went out the window and it just blurted out of me. I was like, well, guess what? I got a great Christmas gift. Uh, and then immediately I look over at Amy and she has this, this look of panic on her face. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, backtrack, backtrack. I was like, I got a, a, a hiking pack for Christmas, which was true. It was true. I had a hiking pack for Christmas, but immediately my in-laws were, they're on, she was on to it. She knew like, I, you know, I love to hike. I love to be outdoors, but she knew that the excitement and joy that I had originally expressed did not uh, warrant uh, the hiking and my joy and love for hiking. Uh, in that regard. This is what uh, happens in, in Luke 1. Mary is overcome with joy, and she burst out into a song, a song of praise and excitement for, for what is to come, what God says to her. It's the first Christmas carol, it's been called the Magnificat, which comes from uh, the Latin word for magnifies, from the Latin version of the Bible. And it's the first of four nativity hymns uh, in the Gospel of Luke, followed by the Song of Zechariah and the Song of the Angels and then the Song of Simeon. And it's one of many songs in the Bible that is a response to something God has done and praise for who he is. Mary, for Mary, this song sprang deep inside the recesses of her heart. And it was something that was deeply personal for her in a lot of ways. And what I want to spend talking about for the remainder of our time together is this question. I want to answer the question uh, of this. What caused Mary to burst out with such excitement, joy, and praise? I want to propose three things. One, she understood God's regard. Two, she understood God's reversal. And three, she understood God's remembrance. How do we know God had regard on Mary? Look with me at verse 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary speaks of her soul. 
and her spirit, right? These are not separate things. They are all one thing together, right? This is mind, heart, body. It's everything. Everything in her is screaming uh, in her is what she says. And the primary emotion she feels is one of joy. She says she magnifies him and rejoices, right? This is what she has when you think about... um, magnifying, you know, you think of a, a magnifying glass. What does a magnifying glass do? It, it enlarges, right? It makes bigger. Obviously, Mary here is, isn't saying that in her thoughts and in her words that somehow that makes God bigger than he is, right? What she's saying here is that she is so consumed by who God is and how she has experienced him in the previous days and who he is and his goodness that it is welling up inside of her that she can't contain it in her, right? That's what she's saying. She's saying that she is so overwhelmed by joy. And what is the focus of her joy? Well, the focus of her joy we see here is her Lord and her God, who is her Savior, right? Contrary to Roman Catholic teaching, right? What is being taught here isn't isn't that Mary was somehow sinless and preserved from sin in some way, right? She owns the fact that she herself is a sinner and the fact that she acknowledges that she has a Savior. She is in need of saving. She is one who is in need of God's grace. And we're told the reason why God had regard for her in verse 48. For he, look there with me, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. We see God's regard in that he looked at Mary. He looked at her. Last week in Luke chapter 1, we were told that the angel Gabriel came and visited Mary. And when he came and visited this young woman in Nowheresville, Nazareth, and he announced to her that though she was betrothed and soon to be married, that she was soon going to be with child. And that she, this wasn't going to be Joseph's child, it was going to be God's child. Of course, Mary was shocked. She was puzzled. She says, how can this be? The angel Gabriel explains that the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow her uh, and that she was going to bear inside of her the actual son of God. And that's not, you know, the, and this was ex- unexpected news, but this wasn't the only unexpected news. She was also told that her cousin, Elizabeth, who was old, old in age at this time and well beyond childbearing years, that she also is with child and was six months pregnant. As we see in this passage this morning, after the angel departs, we were told that Mary went with haste. She was so excited. She, she went as quickly as she could, by herself, by the way. That's amazing that she took this long journey, and she went, and she saw Elizabeth. And uh, when she gets there and greets Elizabeth, we're told that Elizabeth's baby, which is John the Baptist, leaps in her womb, right? We kind of know, you know, when you're pregnant, you get to experience the, the baby moving around at different times. But the, the, what we're communicating here is that this is somehow connected to the arrival of Jesus on the scene with Mary. And so he leaps with joy. And then Elizabeth breaks out into a, a series of blessings. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's a number of things we could focus on in this passage here. We could, we could look at John's joy, for example. Like it, I mean, it's incredible, right, that John the Baptist, the one who is to prepare the way of the Lord, is already fulfilling his calling uh, that he has here. Here he is, he's jumping from, for, for joy in, the, in utero, right? That's amazing. It's remarkable that this is happening. 
Another thing you could look at here is, is the meeting of covenants, right? John the Baptist, the last and great prophet, and Jesus, the, the new and greater David, under one roof together. Covenants meeting each other. Fulfillment taking place, right? That is amazing. It's remarkable. But what I want to draw our attention to here is Elizabeth's humility. Elizabeth was Mary's senior, if you will. She was her mother in faith, if you would. Uh, she was, had, a, had tons of experience and wisdom on Mary. And what we see in this passage is that Elizabeth blesses Mary, right? What we would have expected, right? Mary came here to go see Elizabeth and congratulate Elizabeth for her birth and this miraculous thing. And what we see is that Elizabeth blesses Mary. That's what, it's shocking. We shouldn't expect that. And Elizabeth gives us the reason why she does this. Elizabeth understood in verse 43 that the one inside of Mary's womb, womb, excuse me, was her Lord. It was her Lord. The Lord here is a title for God. It's God language, if you will. It's unbelievable, right, that, that Elizabeth even drew this conclusion. Think about it. In the text, there's no indication that she was told that Mary was pregnant, let alone that the one inside of her was the very Son of God, and yet she comes to this conclusion. Why? Well, the implied reason that we see in the text is that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led her to this conclusion. The Holy Spirit led her to conclude that it's the Lord that is inside of Mary. And the reason why Mary is blessed is because she, the Lord, dwells in her. Right? This is why Mary considered herself blessed in 48. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because he has looked on my humble estate of his servant. Right? God comes to the lowly. This wasn't some kind of false humility on Mary's part. No one was more lowly than Mary. Mary was poor, she was young, she was a girl, and she was from Bethlehem. Right? In this culture and in this standard at this time, that was the lowest of lows. Right? She refers to herself, she was a nobody from nowhere, and she knew it. Right? That's why she referred to herself as a servant, as one with humble estate. She also saw herself as a sinner, as I pointed out earlier. She saw and acknowledges that she was in need of a saving, of a savior. She was truly of humble estate. You wouldn't go through Judea and pick out Mary to be the one to give birth to the Son of God. And yet, we see here that God had favor on a young, insignificant, poor Mary, and she could not believe it. God had shown favor to her because he looked on her. But this wasn't the only reason why she considered herself blessed. And uh, she was also, we're also told in verse 48, that for he who is mighty has done great things for him, for her. Right? What? She has, he has seen her, he looked on her, and he has done something for her. What has he done for her? Well, humanly speaking, the news would have brought reproach on both her and Joseph, right? Uh, this is the reason why Joseph even contemplates uh, silently divorcing Mary, as David pointed out last week, right? This was something that was, uh, would, have brought, would have been bad news, humanly speaking. Either she was going to be seen as crazy for saying that she had God inside of her, or she's going to be seen as promiscuous, right? She's going to be seen that her and David weren't as godly as we thought they were, right? That was, those were the two conclusions, logic conclusions that you would draw. 
Often blessing can feel like this, can it? The cost can feel like it outweighs the benefit. Following Jesus can feel a lot more like being under the surgical knife. Many of you know exactly what I'm, what I'm saying. And yet what we see here is that Mary in faith and in humility sings. She sings because divinely speaking, God had shown her favor. He had done great things for her. Of all the beings in the universe, God chose her. God chose her to dwell in, to give birth to the Savior of the world. Who does he love to bless? He loves to bless the lovely, the poor, or the lowly, the poor, and the needy. But we also see that it's, the, it's those who fear him that he loves to bless. Look at verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him, those who honor him, those who think of him, look on him in their need, those who seek his riches in their poverty, those who look to his heights in their lowliness, right? These are the people in whom God loves to bless. Why? Because in, the, in these people, God's power and glory is made, is made big, right? It's made known. Mary knew this firsthand because she experienced this, that God loves to bless and the, the weak, the poor, the helpless, and lowly, and raise them up. And he, lo- and he takes the, pr- the proud, the seemingly strong, the lofty, the independent, and he lowers them. Mary knew this, and she experienced this. She was the lowly one, and so she sang of it. She sang of God's regard, and she sang of God's reversal. Where do we see that in the passage? Well, look at verse 51 and 53 with me. He has shown strength with his arm, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary didn't just come up with this idea out of thin air. She had an extensive knowledge of the scriptures. Of, of the word. She, God had a tremendous track record, right, in which he had knocked down the proud and raised up the lowly. Many commentators actually connect Mary's song with uh, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. Uh, in it, Hannah, Samuel's mother, uh, is, is barren. She's unable to have children And we're told that she is weeping and she is deeply distressed and she prayed. And God answers her prayer. And and the words of 1 Samuel 2 is the response in her joy and gratitude for what God had done for her. She spoke from her heart like Mary and she exalted the Lord. She spoke of his holiness. She said, there is none like the, none holy like the Lord, excuse me. And she spoke of his reversal. Right, that the bows of the mighty would be broken, that the feeble, the weak, would find and be bound with strength, that the fool, those who are fool, would hire them out for, for food, those who are barren would bear uh, seven children, right? those who were uh, in the dust would be raised, and those who are in the ash heap would be raised up as well. The Lord makes rich, and he makes poor. He brings low, and he exalts. He is the God of reversal. It is likely that Mary, when she was heading to visit Elizabeth, would have had this, this song, Hannah's song, on her mind uh, as, she, as she came up with these words. It's also likely that she had the great acts of God 
in history on her mind. She would have thought about the time when God, by the strength of his arm, overcame Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. She would have thought of how the Philistines were scattered when Goliath was put away. We would have thought of mighty Nebuchadnezzar, who in his pride was sitting on his throne and is taken away to live with animals as a lunatic, as a crazy person, right? And as well with his son. God cannot stand pride. Those who think of themselves greater than they ought, those who lose sight of who God is and who they are in light of God. And so God has a long history of opposing the proud and raising up the lowly. But what's interesting here is that Mary is speaking about future events, events that have yet to take place, but she speaks about them in a past tense. She speaks about them as if they've already happened in some way or another, right? Think about it, like she's singing of, of baby Jesus and the miraculous birth that, that is, that Jesus is in her, but he is a baby still, right? There's no, no kingdoms, no thrones have been destroyed yet. Uh, no armies have been scattered. No tycoons have been sent away. Nothing has happened at this point yet. The reason why Mary can sing in this way and sing of these things as if they are already done is because when God speaks, when God promises, there is good is done. There is good is done. You can take it to the bank. Mary understood that God uh, is, that the coming of Christ would turn the world upside down. This partly meant the reversal of what the world perceived as powerful. Look at verse 51 and 52 again. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. In Christ, God takes the conventional standards of greatness and significance of, and he turns them on their heads. The proud, those who exalt themselves and take no account of God, are brought low by the strong arm of God. We, Luke actually exemplifies this in his gospel later in chapter 18. He tells of two men, two men who go to the temple to pray. One, we're told, is a Pharisee. He stands, he looks at his righteous works, as how he tithes and how he fasts, and he thanks God that he's not like the other men, like tax collectors and like sinners and adulterers. And then we're told of another man, told of a man who's a tax collector, and he stands far off, and he can't even bear to look up at God because he is so painfully aware of his sin and his unworthiness. And he cries out for mercy, beating his chest. The verdict Luke gives us is that the man who saw himself as unworthy is the one who went away justified. He ends with this words. He says, for anyone, or excuse me, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Those who see themselves in light of God's grace, those who see themselves in light of God's holiness, and therefore see themselves as sinners, these are the ones in whom God will exalt and will save on that great day of reversal. If you are finding hope and strength in your notoriety, in your things, your experiences, your achievements, your successes, you're not going to be in a great place when the day of reversal comes. But this is not the only reversal that Mary understood that Jesus would bring. She understood that he would bring a reversal of provision as well. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Those who are full will be made empty, and those who are empty will be made full. 
This is not to say that if you're rich here, you're going to be poor in the next world, or that you're rich or poor here, that you'll be rich in the next. It's not this sociological thing. He's talking about this. He's saying that those who find their fill in the earth now, right? Those who look and pursue satisfaction with what the world has to offer now will ultimately end up empty. This is especially the temptation for the, the rich. This is why he mentions them, which of all of us fall into that category in some way compared to the world, right? Typically, those who are rich are more content with the world, right? We have a tendency to lose sight of our sense of longing for what is to come because we are so satisfied with what we have. Luke demonstrates this later again in his gospel in the parable uh, in Luke 16. He tells a parable again of two men. One man named Lazarus, Lazarus, who was poor, covered in sores, and hungry. Another man, unnamed, was rich, and we're told he feasted daily. Both die, but both find themselves in two very different situations. Lazarus, we're told, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. That's, in other words, God or, takes him to be with the saints, to be with his people. But while the rich man finds himself in Hades, being in torment, longing for Abraham to send Lazarus with just a drop of water to quench the burning that he feels on his tongue, right? But Abraham replies with the hard truth, child, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now, here in eternity, he is comforted, and you are in anguish. The poor and hungry know their poverty and their need. They don't need reminding. Those who are hungry and thirsty for more, but also fear God, know that he is the only one who can satisfy them. So I ask you these questions. Are you hungry? Do you experience deep longings for more? Do you know what it means to hunger for peace, for comfort, for health, for justice, for restoration? The good news for you and I is that the great reversal is coming. It's coming. All of that will be undone. Even with all of our riches and wealth, many of us quickly realize how fleeting this world really is. C.S. Lewis says it well. He says, if you find... If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And so we wait. We wait for that great day of reversal, that day when Jesus, that Jesus has already started and begun. And after all, isn't this the message of Christmas? That God has regard on the lowly by leaving the most lofty place taking on the lowly, becoming man in the person of Christ, emptying himself, setting aside everything that we might be full, full of his righteousness, full of his joy. Mary's song doesn't stop here, though she sings of his regard, she sings of his reversal, and then very briefly she sings of his remembrance. Look at with me at verse 54 and 55. For he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God remembers Israel. What's the basis for his remembrance? Well, his faithfulness and his mercy. Mary here is appealing to years and years of promises. Promises made to Adam and to Noah and to Abraham and then to Isaac and then eventually to David. 
promises that are being fulfilled right before their very eyes. Why? Because God is the faithful one who never forgets. Unlike you and me, you and I, God never forgets and he never changes. So I want to end and conclude with these questions for you. Are you struggling to find joy this season? Don't forget God has regard on the lowly. Are you painfully aware of your sin and your need and your shame this season? Take heart. God exalts the humble. Do you find yourself longing and hungry for what only God can satisfy? Hang on. The great reversal's coming. Have you forgotten about God's promises and what all of this means? God hasn't forgotten. He remembers. He is faithful to finish what he started. It is through the baby in Mary's womb that we see God's regard, reversal, and remembrance for us. And so we sing. Amen. Father, Lord, we... We praise you for examples like this in our text of of song, of people who delight in your good news, who delight in the truth, the validity, validity of what you have done and what you've accomplished for us, Father Lord. We we know that when you say something, it is true, and you will finish what you start. Father, would you do that now for us as we wait, as we wait for what is yet to come, for that great day of reversal? We we love you. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.